All right, for nearly half a century, Jack Benny kept audiences in stitches with his alter ego of a vain penny pincher who was forever 39 and delusional about his skill at playing the violin. His catchphrases, well, with a long pause, and now cut that out, were part of the pop culture landscape for decades. And like so many of comedians of the era, Jack Benny began his career as a teenager in vaudeville and became a radio star in the early 1930s. And after appearing in several features on the big screen, he took his popular radio series, The Jack Benny Program, to television. February is always Jack Benny month as we celebrate the 130th anniversary of Jack's birth. And to talk about the legacy of this entertainment icon, Chuck Shaden, Radio Hall of Famer, founding host of Those Were the Days broadcast in Nostalgia Digest magazine, and the man that succeeded him, Steve Darnall, 39 years after Chuck started his journey as a nod to Jack Benny's perpetual age of 39. And Chuck and Steve join me to celebrate this television and radio icon. Gentlemen, how are you? Hey, hey, doing fine. How about you? Doing Very well. Doing well and excited to talk about this icon. And, you know, I was looking at uh, at really his deep history. You know, he was born in Chicago, grew up in Waukegan, vaudeville theaters. He was making $7.50 a week, which is, you know, at 11 years old or whatever he was, it's in 2024 dollars, that's like 250 bucks. He was at the same theater with the Marx Brothers. He he left show business to join the Navy during World War One. Um, you know, he signed a contract with MGM Radio. Ed Sullivan had him on his show. Then he started his own broadcast. I mean, Chuck, what an amazing story and what a long, long career. Well, it was an incredible career for so many years, and uh, Jack, Jack. Used the whole broadcast, his radio broadcast career dovetailed into his television career, and he was up for all of it. And his his personality and his ideas changed over the years. He became a, he started off as kind of a brash MC, and then he was a ladies' man, and then finally he was the penning pitching, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. lightwide, uh, who was always the butt of all of all the problems. And he put that into his whole persona, and audiences for decades loved what he was doing. It's very true. And what what amazes me is that really he created that persona uh, on radio. And, you know, you couldn't see his gestures. You couldn't see his facial expressions, Steve. But, you know, just like the power of, of, of the golden years of of radio, you were able to really give people uh, a theater of the mind view at what he was doing. His long pauses worked well for radio, and he kind of knew what he was doing. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the things that Chuck alluded to is is the fact that Jack was was so brave as to be the comedian who became the butt of everyone else's jokes. Right. You know, I think that that shows a real generosity of spirit, but also a real understanding of characters. Um, and you're right in that uh, there are going to be people who are fans of Jack Benny's radio show exclusively or the television show exclusively. They both have their merits. For me, you're right. What, part of what made the radio show so fascinating was that Jack and his writers and, and team understood that there were certain things you could do in that medium you couldn't do anywhere else, like the sound of Mel Blanc impersonating Jack's old Maxwell. Right. Trying to trying to start up and failing. Or the sound of Jack going down to his underground vault and, and lowering the drawbridge and, you know, 
but it was easier on radio than it was on television because with radio you just had sound effects to to do it and you could do anything you could go down to jack's vault and he could walk down, 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 and he crossed the moat, and he had the alarm go off. When they tried to do that on television, because it was such a hit on radio, they could not reproduce a vault in a dungeon under Jack's home <laughs> that was anywhere near the perception that the viewing audience had, because the viewing audience was the listening audience turned to TV. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Jack's Maxwell. When you were listening to Jack and his gang on the radio, and they'd all get into the Maxwell, and the Rochester would start the car, and then Mel Blank would come in with hiccups and coughing and sputtering and all of that. <laughs> you saw that car. It was shaking. It came to life. When they did it on television, they said, this is going to be great, and they brought a real Maxwell, an old Maxwell in to the TV set. And it wasn't funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a, an old car. It was a vintage automobile. Jack was in it. Rochester was in it. Mary was there. But it wasn't as funny as it was on, on radio. But the key to it was the fact that the the listening audience was part of it, and they could supply their imagination. I don't know who was it who said, what do you like better, radio or television? And some little kid said, I like radio better. And they asked him why, and he said, the pictures are better. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. true. It's in your own mind. You know? Yeah. And, and that's what, and Jack surrounded, as Steve was saying, Jack surrounded it with a cast of great characters, and they all got most of the humor. They got the big, best lines at Jack's expense. And there was virtually no other comedian on radio, television, the movies who would have stood for something like that. That's true. And you know what? There's a lot of comedians that were out there not at the at that time, and then and even currently, that they want to get all the laughs. Jack was willing to set aside for the good of the broadcast, for the for the comedy itself, and be the butt of those jokes, right? That's that's correct. And, and Jack said, they're listening to my program. Who, who, the, people are listening, and, they, and the next day when they're talking about the fun of it, they're talking about the Jack Benny program. He says, they're not talking about how funny Jack was, but they're talking about the whole program. Right. And he was willing to do He knew that. He was that kind of a confident person. And he trusted his writers and the personalities of Phil Harris and Dennis Day and all the others who worked with him, mostly on radio and television. Steve, Jack is most often featured on the cover of Nostalgia Digest, especially in the winter edition and around his birthday to honor him. And this time, he's on the cover with his old pal, George Burns. Yes, um, uh, a fellow named Dan McGuire, who's written many pieces for us, uh, one a fellow Chuck knows very well, um, uh, had written this marvelous story about the friendship between Jack Benny and George Burns, and a special emphasis on the fact that George could always make Jack Benny laugh. (laughs) With, With the slightest of gestures or remarks, he could just send Jack Benny into convulsions, and Jack could never do that to George. And he tried, and he tried, and he tried. Yeah. Uh, and so it, when we found this story, it came came through the transom, so to speak, said, well, we have to uh, include this uh, in the magazine. And of course, uh, we were so lucky to find an absolutely marvelous photo of Jack and George together that we put on the cover. And uh, it's it's always wonderful. And I think that's one of the things people need to remember about Jack Benny, too. David, you talked about the fact that uh, a lot of comedians wouldn't stand for the idea of 
letting someone else on their show get more laughs than they did. Um, Jack Benny was so beloved among comedians, in part because it didn't appear that he had a jealous bone in his body where that was concerned. He was apparently not only a great comedian, he was a great audience. Interesting that you say that. Wow. Go ahead, Chuck. I was going to say that when uh, Jack rarely had, rarely considering a long, long career on, on both radio and television, he rarely had special guests. Mostly he worked with his own cast of characters. But everybody, virtually everybody in show business, whether they were straight dramatic actors or whether they were comic actors, they loved going on the Jack Benny program because they knew they would be treated well by Jack and his writers. They knew that he would be, uh, uh, they would give him good material, and they went on the air with confidence. Many of those same Hollywood performers, for example, would be... Uh, not wanting to go on the air with any other radio comedian because they knew that they were the comedian was going to end up with all the fun and they were just going to have be straight lines. Mm-hmm. Eddie Cantor was a was a good example of that. If he had a guest on his show and the guest got a good line, a good laugh in the rehearsal process, the next time when they got the script. Eddie had the had the punchline instead of the guest, even if it didn't fit his character ah, on the show. So they were not all like uh, like Jack Benny, and he was unique and unusual and beloved. You know, and as we mentioned, uh, Jack's on the cover of Nostalgia Digest. What else is in the uh, winter edition, Steve? Oh my gosh! Uh, well, as Bob and Ray would say, Dave, all kinds of stuff made out of everything. Um, <laughs> actually, really pleased about this issue because we have a tribute to Ernie Kovacs written by uh, the actress and performance artist Anne Magnuson. Uh, We have uh, an article about actor Claude Rains, whom a lot of people will know from either The Invisible Man, where he's not seen at all, or Casablanca, where he's utterly brilliant as uh, police officer Louis Renault. Uh, And also, because this is the, the start of the 50th year of the Digest, we're including some articles from our past, that haven't been seen in many, many years. One of them I'm actually very proud of because it's a piece I wrote for Chuck Shaden back in the 1990s, uh, an interview with a harmonica player named Larry Adler, who actually toured with Jack Benny uh, as part of the USO during World War Mm. II. And I'm thrilled because, one, I got to talk to this, this fellow who had this marvelous connection to people like Jack Benny and Ingrid Bergman, uh, but also, I remember this especially well, Dave, because uh, Larry Adler was living in London at the time, and his management said, oh, he's kind of an early riser, but he's available at 7.30 in the morning. And I said, oh, I can do 7.30 in the morning. And they said, no, no, 7.30 in the morning, London time. Mm. <laughs> wow. And I thought, I can still do that. <laughs> yeah, you can. And, uh, <laughs> hey, of course. One of my greatest, one of my favorite memories of all the years I've been a professional writer is sitting in the living room of my apartment while my wife slept in the next room, and I'm on the phone at 1.30 in the morning, Chicago time, <laughs> with wow. this, this amazing fellow. And uh, so, yeah, there's, so there's a little personal recollection there as well. But um, the fact is the Nostalgia Digest, which Chuck started, well, 50 years ago, has always been about preserving as much of the past as we can. And sometimes that means you focus on radio performers like Jack Benny or George Burns. 
There's actually an article about radio drama in the 1960s when the golden age of radio had ended. But it also means you cover our people from movies or music like Larry Adler or, or television or just some little ephemera that indicates how things were different. For instance, in the new issue of the magazine, there's an article about some small towns in the United States that changed their names due to the popularity of certain performers or radio shows, mm-hmm. like the, the town of Waters, Arkansas, which was so enamored with the Lum and Abner radio show that they changed their name to Pine Ridge, the name of the fictitious town that in which Lum and Abner lived. So um, we're very, very lucky in that Chuck started this publication and, and made it clear nostalgia was a very broad umbrella. And... We've got room for all these things, whether they're personal recollections or historic, you know, entertainment recollections. Um, there's room for all of it in our publication. We are talking to Steve Darnall, NostalgiaDigest.com, Radio Hall of Famer Chuck Shaden. Speaking of Radio.com, and there's more on the legacy of Jack Benny right after this on 720 WGN. All right, we are talking about the legacy of Jack Benny. This year marks his 130th birthday, 50 years also after his passing, Chuck Shaden and Steve Darnall are joining us. You know, Jack was kind of discovered for radio, um, Chuck, on Ed Sullivan's radio program. It was almost 100 years ago, but 1932 is when it was, right? That's right. That's right. And uh, he introduced himself as, uh, I'm Jack Benny. Now there'll be a short pause where they find out uh, who's listening or <laughs> who's Jack Benny. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. What, what about what time on the Jack Benny program, Chuck, uh, on radio developed into what is most familiar to people that were fans. You know, Mary Livingston, his wife, Eddie Anderson, his Rochester, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, Don Wilson. They all developed early on, uh, not all of them, but they came in as they went along. Jack, as per the usual kind of program, variety programs, when Jack started out more, as, more or less as an MC of the Canada Dry program, uh, he... He he was just doing, you know, he had a different band than we knew of. He had a different announcer, and he had a different singer. And then uh, he liked tenors very much because that was the, the, the given thing in those days. And then they had Kenny Baker and uh, Frank Parker, and eventually the right one came along. The perfect one for him was Dennis Day. And uh, kind of Mary, Mary kind of found Dennis Day for Jack Benny, wow. and uh, and then Phil Harris became the band leader. And these people were straight; they were, I mean, they were, they were. Dennis was a singer. Phil Harris right. was a band leader. Right. But in the course of the working on the show with Jack and his writers, they developed characters for those people, and they became very fine radio actors and personalities in their own right. And uh, and Mary was on early in the game too with with Jack, and uh, she developed into a personality. They found uh, they found uh, Eddie Rochester Anderson. Uh, they hired him for one show to be a porter on a train, and they loved what he did so much that they finally found a spot for him to do things. And then of course they got the greatest supporting cast that you could ever think about in in Frank Nelson, in Mel Blanc. In Sheldon Leonard, oh my gosh, uh, it's a cavalcade of uh, the world's greatest humor created by the world's greatest radio writers, and those writers who were working for Jack stayed with him for years yeah. and years, yeah. 
and uh, his his final team of writers. They they were they were there for twenty five years, I think. Wow. And Jack still referred to them as the new writers. <laughs> That's awesome. That's <laughs> Even awesome. at the end of it. We are talking to Steve Darnall, nostalgiadigest.com radio hall of famer Chuck Shaden, speaking of radio.com, and there's more on the legacy of Jack Benny after the top stories from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. All right, we are talking about the legacy of Jack Benny. This year marks his hundred and thirtieth birthday, fifty years after his passing. Chuck Shaden and Steve Darnall are joining us. Um, you know, the program itself, when you think about longevity in shows today, you know, some shows last three, four seasons, 10 episodes a season. We're talking 40 shows for a, for a television series. This show was on from 1932 on radio through television in 1964. Radio was over 900 episodes, 300 TV episodes. Um, you know, a program that lasted 32 years and on stage on television i mean 73 years i mean was really his career out of his 80 years he was a young kid when he hit the stage for the first time what a remarkable life and a remarkable uh, career steve i'll let you comment first well you're right i mean the fact that jack was performing in vaudeville as a as a teenager um and as a straight musician we should clarify he was actually a pretty good violin player all his jokes to the contrary uh, he discovered he could be funny. He became, as Chuck said, sort of a, a wisecracking comedian, then more of an urbane master of ceremonies type, and then the perpetual cheapskate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really, it is remarkable, and, and it's something that served him well in so many media. Um, I mean, he was obviously a hit on the stage, which led to radio. Radio led to the movies, and... Even even though I don't think anybody necessarily looks at, at Jack Benny's movie output as where he shone the brightest, uh, the fact is he was funny in the films he made. And one of them, to at least one of them, to be or not to be, is, is a stone-cold classic. Um, and then, of course, the radio stuff moved to television. And we talked a little, Chuck was talking about radio as the, 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 where listeners could use their imagination and that's important, and that mm-hmm. is, I think, one area where uh, J- Jack really shone because it allowed him to really create this character that would become both the source of great hilarity and, and kind of endearing based on how very flawed it was. When Jack and his writers moved to television, as Chuck said, they couldn't, they couldn't do the vault, and they couldn't do the Maxwell because people had that in their imaginations. So they found other things they could do. I remember one show where Jack's guest was uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford. And the the conceit of the program was that Ernie was at his uh, ranch and he wasn't at the studio and they were going to do a split screen with with Jack and Ernie Ford. And then they tried doing a number together where Ernie's going to sing and Jack's playing the violin and they just use all the vocabulary of television production that they can. So suddenly one of them is playing upside down um, suddenly. And then, and then for no reason at all, I think at one point the split screen reverses so that Ernie's in the studio and Jack is at the ranch, (laughs) you know, I mean, um, so yeah, Jack and his writers, they, they could very well have, have become staid and predictable and and when you're dealing with a character who has such obvious personality traits as Jack Benny's character did, it it could have gone that way. But they made 
the supreme effort to outdo themselves week after week after week. And sometimes that meant, you know, getting Dennis Day to dress up as Baby New Year. Um, Other times it meant using the technology they had to play with viewers' expectations. So, I mean, the fact was, you're right. Jack and his writers, they, they knew what they wanted, and they knew how to uh, how to make it work in any shape or form. You know, one day, Jack was uh, working with his writers. Jack was not one of the writers, but Jack was the world's greatest editor for both radio and television in his radio and TV shows. Uh, and he came in, he was working with the writers for television, and he said, you know, the other night, I think I, I watched, uh, I think it was the Ed Sullivan show, and Sullivan had on the show a, a, a monkey act called the Marquee Chimps. Okay. And these were little chimpanzees, and they had little T-shirts on and all of that. And he said they were very good. He says, why don't we see if we can get them for one of our television shows and, and do it you guys can write a sketch about that. And the writers paused a second. They looked up at Jack, and they said, well, that sounds good, but what do you think we could do with them? And Jack said, well, he says, that's up to you. You guys decide that. I'm going out. And then before he left the room, he turned at the door and he said, I wouldn't have your job for a million bucks. He said. <laughs> <laughs> but they used the chimps in a memorable television show where they were working. They were sitting on little chairs and Jack was in one of the chairs dressed with the same kind of a T-shirt that the chimps had on. And Jack, I think, had a vial. It was hilarious. And the audience loved it. And another thing that Jack did so well on television was his pauses. Now you say, well, pause. He did, you know, he would be on the stage in front of the curtain and with with a guest, perhaps, and the guest would say something which was outrageous to Jack, and Jack would just he'd fold his arms a little bit, touch his cheek, and he'd look at the audience. And you know the home audience and the TV audience in the studio, they knew what Jack was thinking. <laughs> That's yeah. how well they knew this character. Jack had honed his own character so well that the Jack Benny pause it could get a high rating on its own. <laughs> that's very true. No, it was that's an amazing thing, Jack Benny. Well, you know, and sponsors played such a very big role back in in the early days of radio where, you know, the name of the sponsor was just as associated with the artist, the performer. Steve, who were some of Jack's big name sponsors that that you know of? Well, certainly the longest uh, affiliation Jack had on radio, and I think on television as well, was with uh, Lucky Strike Cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it became, it was billed as the Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny, although we all call it the Jack Benny program. Prior to that, there was a lengthy association with Jell-O. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love is that um, General Foods, took Jack on because they were being beaten up in the in the sales by Knox Gelatin of all things. <laughs> and and I laugh at that because it's like with no disrespect to the people at Knox Gelatin, who remembers Knox Gelatin? <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. It's very true. Um, and uh and then of course the very first uh was Canada Dry. Ja- uh, Chuck was talking about the fact that uh-huh. Jack was 
on the radio in 1932 as sort of a master's of master of ceremonies as opposed to the comedian he became. And something that's that's very important to remember too here, Dave, is Jack was a radio pioneer when it came to things like commercials because radio was, as you point out, in its infancy, and commercials were sort of viewed with with some dread, you know, that usually it was going to interrupt whatever you were really enjoying for some sonorous and long, boring little pitch. And Jack, from the moment he went on the air, insisted that he be allowed to incorporate comedy into the sponsor's commercials. And in fact, I think the very first show he did for Canada Dry, he actually told the story about a girlfriend whose uncle had been to every night spot in New York, now he was going north to drink Canada Dry. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love that. I know. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you know, so, when, I mean, I, when, that's the sort of thing people. I think we talk about how do we how do we make sure people appreciate Jack Benny uh, long after his passing. I think if you've ever seen or heard a funny commercial on radio or television, that all goes back to Jack Benny. The roots go very deep. But that the trunk of that tree is the work that Jack and his writers did for Canada Dry and Jello and Lucky Strike um, 70 and 80 and 90 years ago. We are talking to Steve Darnall, NostalgiaDigest.com, Radio Hall of Famer Chuck Shaden, speaking of Radio.com. And there's more on the legacy of Jack Benny after the top stories from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. All right, we are talking about the legacy of Jack Benny. This year marks his 130th birthday, 50 years also after his passing. Chuck Shaden and Steve Darnall are joining us. You know, Chuck, you turned your hobby into a vocation so many years ago. I mean, you were really one of the people that has has really, uh, you know, you built your collection of almost 50,000 vintage programs to showcase that era gone by. And you really, you dug deep and traded until you had this amazing collection. And the Jack Benny program, one of the most extensively preserved programs of its era with the archive almost complete from 1936 on, including some early stuff, that in and of itself is is pretty rare. Well, it's 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 wonderful. It's a, it's an outstanding archive, and uh, Jack was proud of it. His family was proud of it, uh, of of the work that he did, and they acknowledged uh, that we had all of this stuff. And it was, uh, it's it's wonderful that there's an accessibility for it now. You know. All right, Chuck, you interviewed Jack at the old Mill Run Theater in Niles back in 1970. Right. Um, you know, that must have been surreal for you. For for a guy that was collecting and working so hard in preserving this era, you got to talk to the man himself. I had started my radio broadcast in, in May of 1970. And in September, Jack Benny came to the Mill Run Theater in Niles, Illinois, and I had the chance to interview him. And there I was within a few a few radio months under my belt, sitting across from Jack Benny. I mean, Jack Benny, I couldn't hardly yeah. believe him. Yeah. Uh, but he was wonderful. He was a delight to talk with. He was relaxed. He was going to, it was opening day. He was going to open that night, and he was came to the theater to do a run-through a little bit with the, the band that they were rehearsing. But we spent some little time together, and uh, uh, I, I could hardly believe. And it was among the very first of the interviews that I conducted over all the years. And later, subsequently, I had 
something like 200 interviews of the radio performers and mm-hmm. writers and directors and most of the cast of the Jack Benny show. And all that stuff, by the way, is available on my website, speakingofradio.com. And we're going to share that interview uh, after the break. I mean, it's it's a great conversation. Oh, great. But, you know, great. you think about, um, you know, Benny, like even at the end, I mean, you know, January 74, he, he had an appearance on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Johnny Revere Jack. And yes. you know had uh, you know recreated some of the the lines and the and the and the sound effects with Mel Blanc, um, you know, and then he made a last television appearance on the Tonight Show with Rich Little as the host. I think the only time he ever went on the Tonight Show that Johnny wasn't there. Um, he did so many Dean Martin celebrity roasts. The last one aired after his passing, which I believe was the Lucille Ball one. But he was supposed to star in the film version of Neil Simon's The Sunshine Boys, and he was. His health was failing a little bit, and his buddy, his best friend George Burns, you know, took his place. Yes, and that was that was uh, beautiful to do that. And uh, George uh, it, it, it extended George Burns' own career for That's a it. number of years because That's he it. did he did a couple of versions of of, of Oh God, <laughs> yeah, the Sunshine Boys. Yeah. And, uh, it was great, and I th- I think. Uh, I, my guess is, as much as I revere Jack Benny, I think George Burns did a better job in the Sunshine Boys than Jack might have in that particular Interesting. role. Interesting. But uh, Jack could do no harm. I, uh, You know, around the, the end of the year, I always like to take out my videotape of the uh, the horn blows at midnight, <laughs> only because midnight plays a role in it. It's not a New Year's Eve movie or anything like that. And I enjoy that picture. Uh, it works well. And that's one of the pictures that Jack had the most fun ribbing with on his show. So many great interviews. Uh, you can find Chuck at speakingofradio.com, Steve at nostalgiadigest.com. Steve, really quick, uh, tell folks how to get uh, this magazine that's uh, published four times a year. Sure. Well, Nostalgia Digest uh, can be gotten uh, at nostalgiadigest.com. Uh, you can also call our offices at 773-769-6575, and uh, we can take your information over the the, uh, the phone, which is uh, a device that Chuck uh, that Jack used very often on his show. I should point out, I love uh, you that. will not you will not be greeted by Mabel or Gertrude, the telephone <laughs> operators. <laughs> okay, fair um, enough. But uh, fair enough. And uh, and yes, and thank you. It's as as. You noted Jack and George Burns are on the cover of the new issue, so it's uh, sort of perfect for uh, Jack Benny's birthday. Well, I couldn't think of anyone else, really, that with the knowledge and the background and the work that you both do to keep his name alive 130 years after his birth, 50 years after his death. And I'm very grateful you guys uh, joined us tonight. Well, Dave, we're very pleased to be here. And you know what we all three have in common, don't you? The three <laughs> of us, you and Steve and myself. Yep. We're all 39. Yes, we are. Forever. (laughs) (laughs) Forever. (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Comedian Jack Benny was in the Chicago area for a series of concert appearances at the Mill Run Playhouse in Suburban Niles back in 1970 when Chuck Shaden met with Jack to talk about his career. Chuck was backstage following Jack's short rehearsal with the band, and just a few hours before his opening night performance, Jack was 76 at the time of Chuck's visit. And so let's share their conversation to Radio Hall of Famers Chuck Shaden and Jack Benny. Do you remember what your first words were? Uh, on radio? On the Ed Sullivan Show? 
Was it Ed Sullivan or my own show? I, my first show where I said something like, because it's been repeated so much, something like, this is Jack Benning, there'll be a slight pause while you say who For ca- everyone to say who cares? Who cares, or who know, or, or who cares, or something, I don't know. It was something like that, yeah. <laughs> well, you were on the Ed Sullivan show uh, back in 32. Right. And then that was in March, and then later that year... Uh, in May, you started your in own May, program. In May, I started my own program. And I got it through the Ed Sullivan Show. The sponsor? Uh, the Ganner Dry Ginger. They heard me on the Ed Sullivan Show, and as soon as that show was over, they called me and uh, made me an offer. And you've had a sponsor on radio and TV ever since? Ever since. Right. Did you? What did you do on that Ed Sullivan Show? Uh, what happened was, I was in New York, and Ed said, Jack, why don't you come on my show? He did a sports show or something. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what do we do? He said, what do we do? He said, oh, let you and I sit down. We'll write something. So I forget what it was, a couple of questions. He was doing a sports thing. So we sat down, and uh, there wasn't much to the show except little talk, but evidently the the agency for Canada Ginger Ale perhaps liked my speaking voice because that's all he could go by. Right. And they made me the offer right away. And that was for... uh, Canada Dry Ginger. No, no, I mean for what length of time? Was it a 13-week series at that point? That was 39 weeks, I think, with Canada Dry Ginger Ale. I think it was. Or I don't know how many weeks it was. But what they didn't want... See, I insisted on doing comedy commercials. Hmm. Otherwise, I didn't want to do radio, television, nothing. So, uh, they were afraid of the comedy commercial. We had some very funny ones. And finally, they wanted me eventually to do, even though they had a lot of marvelous letters uh, telling them, how good the commercials were because they'd never heard commercials funny like that. They still didn't like the idea. So then they wanted me to do straight commercials and I said, I don't want it. And they even wanted me to do it, you know. It was something like that. And so then I could see we were going to have a little problem. So uh, I said to my manager... Let's look for something else because I don't think they're going to keep me if I if I don't do if I stop. Well, doing you comedy you had um, insisted on um, on the uh, comedy commercial right from the beginning, right and from the very first show. When you had the sportsman on the um, was yeah. it the Lucky Strike well, program where they jelly, came in? That was Jello, Lucky Strike, right, everything. Right. Yeah. Well, you wrote most of those, didn't you? Or have with a big my writers? With my writers, yeah, sure, we wrote every one of them. And uh, when we started for Jello. The uh, Lucky Strike, the the Jello commercials saved Jello because Jello was going out of business almost on account of Knox Gelatin was mm. beating Jello, beating the hell out of them. And so they wanted the comedy commercials, figuring that that could be the one thing that would save it. And by golly, it did. It did it. How it long were you on for Jell-O? Oh, for a long time. General flew Jell-O, and then when they had enough of that, we went on. We stayed with them for Grape Nuts Flakes and Grape Nuts and all this and that. And, and uh, then 
I don't know what happened with that. We were on for years and years and years. And then I went with Lucky Strike. I think Lucky Strike made me a a bigger, better deal, whatever it mm. was. So I went with Lucky Strike. And uh, uh, what happened was, the last year that I was with General Foods, so I had a few shows that weren't as hot. But I still had a lot of great shows. So this was in the middle 40s? It was, oh, s- the, something. The so-called famous Jack Benny yeah. slump, that you yeah. moved from number one to number seven. Or something like or that. Something, right? or, something, <laughs> I don't know. or they thought, so they practically said to me, uh, watch it a little bit, because some of the shows, as though every show had to be perfect, you know. See, I spoiled them. So the minute they said that, I went to my, and then they went back to New York. Now, they didn't have an option. The thing was over. But they did want to pick, give me a new contract. But the way they said to me, just watch a little bit, I got mad. So I said to my manager, I said, let's get another sponsor. I don't want to be with them. And we wired them on the train as they were going back that we will not be with them anymore. Because right away I had like four or five big offers from Lucky Strike, from everybody. And we grabbed Lucky Strike immediately. When was that? That was, uh, God, I don't know the years, exactly the years. Then, of course, Jello came back and said, we didn't mean to hurt your feet, all this and that, but it was too late. So then I stayed with Lucky Strikes for years. And uh, what 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 did I do after Lucky Strike? Well, I think you went off the air with Lucky Strike. Your last radio show uh, was... Well, I went in television with Lucky Strike. Television with Lucky Strike. And then... Then we had a few different uh, sponsors for television. And... uh, Weren't you on for an insurance uh, insurance group? Oh, for quite a while, yeah. yeah. For... uh, uh, State Farm State insurance. Farm, yeah. 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 Did, is it true, Mr. Benny, that, that uh, NBC once gave you an option on the uh, 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock time slot uh, yeah, on Sunday night? Yeah, they nights? told me as long as I would stay with them, I could have that time. Now, this was not in writing, but mm-hmm. it was a definite agreement that I could have that time as long as I wanted to stay with them. But when I moved to CBS, CBS gave me exactly that same time. Opposite. <laughs> you know, I've always asked this question of uh, old radio fans. What was on opposite Jack Benny? And nobody ever remembers. <laughs> no, was, because in those days, in those days they couldn't, who could imagine? In those days, they, uh, nobody would go opposite. Huh? That's what I thought. Let's see if we can find a match for Mr. Benny. But uh, there is no match for Mr. Benny. So, uh, so I moved, and I didn't want to leave NBC. I loved NBC, but I had to make some kind of a deal where I could make some money because here I was getting a terrific salary, and it was all salary. And I couldn't make a deal for a company. Well, I wouldn't care if I got a million dollars a week. That wouldn't do me any good. What good would that be? 
with income the tax, tax that right. we sure. Right. So the ones that made me the deal and came right through with it quick was CBS. Then, of course, when NBC realized I was going to go, then they were willing to make the deal. But I didn't want to play one against the other, so I merely took CBS. Well, CBS had uh, generally rated NBC at that time, didn't they, with these uh, No, NBC, NBC was, the, yeah, once I got on, but NBC was really the first network. And then when I moved over, a lot of shows moved over. Mm-hmm. So that made it, uh, that made it, uh, made really CBS come up on top. And that was my pal Chuck Shaden interviewing the legendary Jack Benny. All right, this is History with Dave Schwann coming up next.